1: i've already given you my list of friends <laughs> right well yeah but we need to like figure out who is actually coming and lock in the venue and lock in the catering and then send out and save the dates.
3: Yeah, yeah that's yeah. like
1: our process at the moment i think well, well, i mean well, i've never planned a wedding before
3: yeah, either, I've, so. I've, never, I've never been married before either so it's not gonna like it's gonna be my first one my fiance ingrid and i are planning our wedding Well actually she's planning it and I've just got a blank word document on my computer called Wedding List that I'm too scared to open I've never actually been married before so I don't really know how to do it I'm a child of divorce with my dad having had three divorces while my mum has only had one divorce What a loser Plus The only wedding I've ever been to was a punk wedding at a record store which was basically just a regular punk gig with lots of bands and slightly more partying. On top of planning venue hire, florists and photographers, Ingrid and I are also having a country wedding because she's a white lady from the country and I am Chinese which means that I am adamant that catering must be high quality traditional Chinese food which is pretty insane of me considering the fact that it's a rural Australian wedding. I'm starting to really regret race mixing. Ingrid and I are going to talk about how we keep our relationship flourishing despite our challenges and anxieties. She'll be talking to us this episode even though she's shy, because she loves me. This is Love Me, Love My Anxiety, a podcast about relationships when you're already partnered up with anxiety. My name is Kevin Jin and I'm here to talk to you about living anxiously ever after. Ever, after, ever, after, ever, after, ever after. So what do you think partners can do to support people with anxiety?
0: It's such a game changer to just be able to hold that space for someone and let them experience what they're experiencing. He's
3: well versed in, in kind of spotting
0: that and dealing with that. and. Um quite honestly has the patience of a saint with me
1: you know for some they might want ice cream for some they just want time alone and to understand that it's not a reflection on that other person that it's just their way of coping and managing it we just talked about
0: everything nothing was too big or too small you know no issue so we have this great foundation to build our relationship on
3: Congratulations! You've finally won at relationships! You've decided that you want to spend the rest of your lives, or at least the next lockdown, with each other. Your relatives will finally stop nagging you, and you've asserted your dominance over all your single friends, who are sad and jealous and curse you behind your back. As we all know, getting married is the ultimate goal of being alive, and it solves all of your problems, and no new problems arise whatsoever. LOL jokes. When we're in it for the long haul, we've already made it work. But how do we make sure it stays working? How often do we have to pop the hood of the relationship and have a look at the engine? Do we need to change the oil? What do the little orange lights popping up on our dash main? I don't know how cars or metaphors work. To get some insight, I spoke to Gold Coast artist and writer Samuel leighton Dorr who married his partner, Brad, at the start of 2020. And for him, it was important that they started their union with what he calls a healthy dose of realism. Hi, Sam. Thanks so much for talking with us today.
0: Hello, Kevin. Pleasure to be here.
3: Could you tell us a bit about your relationship with your husband, Brad?
0: He was standing in a park. It was It's very non-conventional. I literally just walked up to him and asked for his phone number. So there's, that was probably eight or nine years ago now.
3: I think the asking for phone numbers thing was like mm-hmm. a very useful trick before all the scam phone calls yes. just rendered that technology obsolete. I, um, very annoying, isn't it? I,
0: I totally lied to I was like, I, I never do this, which was not true because <laughs> I did it all the time. I was quite chaotic in my pursuit of love in my early 20s. Who isn't? Yeah, it was very like me to just like, walk up to a stranger or to pay for somebody's table of food down the other end of the restaurant. Like, I used to do weird stuff like that because I used to just imagine in my head myself thinking about never seeing that person ever again and Mm. then I would spiral out anyway.
3: (laughs) So when you first met your husband in the park, what Mm. were some of the first things you started to like about him?
0: I think the first thing that drew me to him was that he looked straight, which sounds really toxic. (laughs) But I did have a long running tradition of being exclusively attracted to unattainable straight men. So Brad slotted in really well with that history. And to my surprise, he was not straight and was open to receiving my number. And um, that was the beginning of what has been Beautiful and challenging and lovely and rewarding relationship and marriage.
3: So what was different about this compared to your previous chaotic pursuits of love?
0: Not to sound like a coming of age film, but well, quite specifically Perks of Being a Wallflower. But I, I do think there is something to the whole like accepting the love you think you deserve line. Mm. I went through puberty at a time when I was being bullied a lot. So I naturally began conflating I think my sexuality with people who treated me badly and that, I mean, I, I didn't realize this until like two years ago when I started intense therapy, but in hindsight, I i realized that there was this ongoing pattern of me being attracted to men who would never treat me right.
3: Yeah. It's, it's, it's really weird because I've interviewed quite a few people on this podcast and like all the ones have been to therapy have said that it's actually very helpful in helping them understand themselves which is weird right that's crazy
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah look it's one of those things that like i guess everyone says it so people may be it a bit but then you do it and you're like oh yeah that tracks
3: <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> like, like oh maybe yoga is really good for you like that's why it's so popular <laughs> oh i don't know kevin let's not say anything too outrageous <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when you are having a bit of an anxious period You know, do you let Brad know or, you know, are there signs that he can just pick up on?
0: I'm not very subtle with my anxiety. I think an interesting point of difference with Brad and I is that when Brad is feeling very anxious, he internalises his anxiety and you could never tell and then he'll get a migraine and end up in hospital. I like to explode. I externalise my anxieties, which can sometimes, I'm sure he would attest to, Feels feel a bit dramatic and a bit stressful. Um, but I do express myself when I'm feeling anxious and depressed and um, panicky and there's no real getting away from it. So, he's well-versed in spotting that and dealing with that and um, quite honestly has the patience of a saint with me.
3: Oh, that's beautiful, <laughs> yeah. It's like Ingrid and I have, we have like this, this safe word that we, whenever we're feeling anxious... Where it's just like, just letting each other know, like, hey, I'm having a bit. Like, just give me a couple minutes, and then I'll be good. It's kind of like a, like a restart button that we have with each other verbally. No, we we have
0: a safe word, but it's um for S and
3: M, smooching and marriage. <laughs> <laughs> smooching and marriage, indeed, Kevin. Was there a moment where you realised that you wanted to be with this person forever? <laughs>
0: I got his name tattooed on my bicep after three months of dating. I am a double cancer sign. So I am very sensitive and (laughs) vulnerable, I guess, with my feelings. So once it felt good, I was quite sure that it was the one. Um, But that's not to say that, like... You know, yeah, I think for the first two years it was just like green light, green light, green light. We're both feeling really, really good about it. We moved into a studio together and then into a bigger apartment together, and things were really great. And um, the challenges of long term relationships start to come in, and you deal with them. And once you work out that you can deal with challenges together, then it starts to feel a bit more solid. And I think so much of, of a marriage and of a relationship is that stuff. And that's the kind of stuff that they don't write songs about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you don't hear a love song about doing a couple's tax return. You don't hear a love song about, <laughs> about moving interstate with your, all everything you own in a Toyota Camry. <laughs> the challenges get bigger. Your coping gets more developed. You get to know each other deeper and better and... Suddenly, it feels like a sustainable, healthy thing that has been challenged and pushed from all edges, and you you start to have a, a, a greater a greater faith in longevity, and then and then things like marriage feel appropriate.
3: Yeah, not to sound too cheesy, but it's almost as if overcoming challenges together as a unit makes you stronger as a unit. Wow. What's that Kelly Clarkson song, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> You wrote your own wedding vows. Would you mind sharing one with us?
0: We kind of really wanted to go in with our eyes open and our hearts open and also just like a healthy dose of realism, which was to say that marriage is never easy. And um, anyway, this is how it went. The good things about you will fade from my mind. I will forget under the pressure of our crowded calendars, the wondrousness of you. We will be buried under administration. We will be preoccupied by points of disagreement. At times we'll see only what is wrong with someone we once cherished. And at the end of this part of the ceremony, we handed each other a photo of ourselves as children. And the idea was that we wanted to center the idea of our inner child and the ongoing work we had to have to do kind of separately and together to kind of get closer to that inner child, and it was an exchanging of vulnerabilities, I guess. Like, I'm a work in progress, you're a work in progress.
3: Sam's vows reminded me how I completely haven't started thinking about my own vows, or even if Ingrid and I are going to have vows. I genuinely don't know how weddings work. I'm hoping I might be able to just do a tight five instead. As the host of a podcast about dating, I'm very aware that I've talked a big game and have constantly bragged about how great my own relationship is. In fact, I'm bragging right now. So now, instead of me talking to people about their experiences, you lucky listeners get to actually hear me talk to my own real-life actual partner, who I love so, so much, and have a look into how we're so goddamn functional. And happy. Mm. Mm. how did we talk to each other about having anxiety what did we say
1: yeah i'm trying to think back to that um
3: i don't think we ever did like a big like i have to confess i'm anxious like we didn't have to do that at any point
1: (laughs) i guess it kind of goes back to um when we first met We met at a mutual friend's 21st birthday party. I was a bit reluctant to go, but I was dragged there by my friend. (laughs) And yeah, you kind of came in and started talking to me. And yeah, you definitely recognised. I was very anxious that night. It was a very big gathering and I was mostly there to support my friend who didn't know many people at the party either.
3: I remember seeing you and being like, oh, she's anxious. (laughs) I'll talk to her because she if I, you know, I'm good at talking to people and getting them to feel a bit more comfortable. I didn't want you to have a bad time at this party. And I thought you were very pretty and I wanted to get to know you better.
1: (laughs) Well, I think the decision to move in together was actually quite natural for both of us. Like, granted, we were still getting to know each other, but we had gotten to know each other quite a lot. Like, we would talk to each other all the time and we would see each other almost every day. Hmm. Um, So even though I think it was only after a couple of months that we moved in together. And also I
3: I I made a point of very aggressively showing off how good I was at cooking and cleaning (laughs) to, like, really, like, really ramp up the whole, like, yeah, I'm great at domesticity. Wouldn't it be great if you were to have this all the time Is it easier being with someone who has anxiety?
1: Um, well, I mean, this is probably the first successful relationship I've had. So I would say probably it's easier being with somebody who has anxiety.
3: Because, like, there are people who have really bad anxiety, but they don't recognise that they have anxiety, and that's just uh uh-oh, SpaghettiOs.
1: Yes, that's not fun (laughs) for anyone. (laughs) We had a conversation very early on where I said there are some days where I don't want to socialise and there are some days where I want to socialise but I might not be very present or very social depending on how I'm feeling. But, and not to take offence when I do say I don't want to hang out with anyone tonight or sometimes I might even go as far as saying can you stay home with me tonight? I don't feel great. (laughs) Mm.
3: But also like... In
1: terms of dealing with like daily
3: chores, like I'm I, I still have like residual O C D. Like it flares up yeah. when I get stressed. I like have this need to clean sometimes yeah. when I'm stressed out about stuff. And you What's really good for me when you get anxious is you just optimise and reorganise the house. <laughs>
1: yeah, I just move all of the furniture and, like, organise everything in the cupboards. <laughs> yeah, it's
3: like whenever, whenever you're stressed out about a major project, I just suddenly benefit from so much improved interior <laughs> design. Yeah. It sounds weird, but one of the foundations of Ingrid and I's relationship is the fact that we can not be in it. Obviously, we don't want that, so duh, of course we're staying together, for now, and hopefully for the rest of
1: our lives. I think we had also spoken about if, if it were to go wrong, um, like, our process with that, If if we were to decide to break up.
3: But that's also, like, kind of a strange conversation to have. It's like, yeah. our relationship was going so well that we did formally, like... I think it's because we we're both anxious. We were both like, oh, what's the worst case scenario? We yeah. break up. And then we just discussed that, the worst case scenario, <laughs> yeah. in such a way that we'd both still be quite all right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's funny. We also discussed divorce a lot.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did. Like,
1: because we're coming up to being married.
3: Now, yeah. Yeah.
1: So... We've had a lot of discussions around divorce and, like, what would happen with our kids or anything like that. Yeah,
3: because also, like, like I'm a child of divorce, so mm-hmm. for me, like, my mum was my dad's third wife, so for me, like, marriage and divorce are literally, it's, it's just, they're administrative terms for me that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and we've also just discussed that, like, ultimately, if we're making each other unhappy, then we should go our separate ways and it'll be better for everyone.
3: I know it's a bit weird to to say out loud, but yeah, we both planned our potential breakup together as a couple, and it really brought us closer together. (laughs) No one knows what's going to happen in the long term, except my brother, who's really, really good at cryptocurrency. But what Ingrid and I do know is how to communicate effectively. It's, like, it's not only just that we both have anxiety and recognize it in each other, but it's like also we've both been to therapy and mm. we know how to manage it in ourselves, but also how to like communicate these things to another person. Because like there have been situations in the past where like, you know, like we've both had quite toxic relationships.
1: No, it's not very fun. <laughs> no, no. And communication is just really bad and... Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just like,
3: oh, why am I sad and horny and angry and happy all <laughs> at the same time? This is confusing. Like, our relationship is, has been very drama-free for the most part. Mm. It's just like, oh, we're just happy and it's nice. And, like, even when things aren't like, whoa, we're so happy, it's still, like, just functional and comfortable.
1: Mm. Yeah, it is really helpful, us both having anxiety. But I think it's, like, the most helpful thing is when we can recognise it in ourselves we have a little system where sometimes when we're feeling anxious and we recognize in ourselves or i mean i think mostly me but sometimes you do it as well the squeeze hug yeah, yeah. and and we'll kind of just ask for a squeeze hug cuz it makes us feel small <laughs> yeah makes us feel safe it makes our makes our problems feel less
3: it's very important that you guys know that Ingrid and i have a dog his name is chewy and everyone says that their dog is the best dog in the world but he's actually the best dog in the world.
1: He himself has helped me so much with anxiety as well. Um, Just having somebody to unconditionally cuddle and love.
3: Ultimately, for you to be in a committed relationship, you need to take ownership of your shit, good and bad. According to our anxiety aunt, psychologist Smooty Nair, it's important to remember that problems don't just disappear once you're in a relationship.
2: That's really important. You know, if you have issues that you're carrying around, don't expect a partner who is trying to commit to a relationship with you to um, just forgive any past kind of issues or transgressions just because you're in a relationship now. People have a right to make choices that work for them. If you're looking at long-term relationships, Remember that external stressors will always be there. It is up to partners to learn how they cope with these as a team and how they choose to grow beyond them as well. And um, I said this before, communication, this is a complete no-brainer. As a relationship grows, there will be shared decision-making. It will become more important, more frequent. So watch that balance of power and watch the, what I call the want ratio, you know, like how much do you want out of this relationship? How much does that person want? How much are your wants met and that person's wants met? If it's kind of 50-50 or if you've, you know, pre-decided, okay, I'm going to do this part of work and you're going to do this part of that relationship admin, fantastic. But if that want ratio is tracking at, you know, 90% them and 10% you, Clearly something is not working there and you need to be able to feel safe, feel comfortable enough to express your needs in a relationship as well. And having said that, don't lose your individuality. You know, you can't be in a relationship and then completely just lose yourself. It's okay and it's totally healthy to have time and space for yourself, to be your own person. If you have issues that you need to address, address them take ownership of, you know, whatever makes you vulnerable, but also take ownership of what makes you awesome. Like, you know, what what might make you a fantastic partner.
3: If there's one thing that I've learned from this podcast, that would be really bad. I've learned so many things from so many people who have been so kind to share with us their experiences, knowledge, and advice. Being a person who wants love and has things they're afraid of is hard. But that's what being alive is. I hope you, dear listeners, have learned some stuff as well.
0: The the upside to that is there's very little I feel uncomfortable discussing with Brad, which I I realise is a very special thing because I can't imagine feeling nervous talking to Brad about something, anything. He has some experience of anxiety. And it's really nice that, whilst he might not completely understand everything that I'm experiencing, He doesn't need to and he doesn't try to like fix it. Like he's able to just sit with me and it's really nice to be able to just open up and talk about that. It's kind of nice, so like, even if you're just panicking together, at least you're not alone in it.
1: We now have a bond that overrides any previous anxiety that I had in my life. I don't even know if I have enough superlatives to kind of talk about it, to be honest.
3: Oh, we love love.
0: We love love and I'm very much in love.
3: Anxiety is not simply a bandwagon that millennials are hopping onto. Mental health is complex and holistic, like any other type of health. And there is support out there for people. Knowing yourself and how to carry yourself when finding love is an ongoing dynamic process. And there are experts in mental health, but also you are the expert in you. So it'd be good for these experts to have a chat. Whatever commitment looks like for you, Whether it's marriage and babies, co-parenting a cat, a long-distance relationship, it's important to find a person who you can be your complete neurotic self with. So thank you for listening. I really hope that this podcast has helped you to put yourself out there. Not just in the dating world, but the world. Anxiety is a part of us. So someone who loves you will love your anxiety. Yep, that's it. That's the end of the show. If this episode raised any issues for you, you can contact Beyond Blue 24-7 on 1300 222 Or for 24-7 crisis support, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Love Me, Love My Anxiety is a podcast from SBS Voices. It's hosted by me, Kevin Jin, produced by Caitlin Chang, and audio production by Jeremy Willman. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambly and Danielle Twitch. Don't forget that if you want to learn more about dating and hear me say more dumb stuff, you can catch me on The Swiping Game, streaming on SBS On Demand.